Welcome, Welcome to, to the Better, Better Call Daddy Show. This is Big Daddy. Oh my God, that's hysterical. More stories you are not going to believe. And advice that you didn't know that you needed. Five stars. Five and a half stars. We're creating a legacy one call at a time. Here comes my daddy. Your problem is, is that you like me. My dad is my hero. He'll always be there to take your call, and you'll never be in too much trouble if your dad is around. Oh, boy. Hey, hey, I think I'm a pretty cool dude. Better call daddy. The safe space for controversy. This is your host, Rena Friedman-Watts. No, this is your host, Celia Watts. More inspirational stories, more daddy drama, and more laughs. Hey, a lot of these things, I don't know where you're getting them from. It sounds like they're coming from when I look in the mirrors. Damn the public. Damn the public. (laughs) It takes a village, but how do we find it? Today's guest, Florence Ann Romano, my dad says, is a lifelong encourager and coach. She's a growth strategist and author of Build Your Village, a guide to finding joy and community at every stage of the game. Florence Ann Romano has been featured on 500 national and local media outlets across the country, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox, Home and Family, The Jenny McCarthy Show, Series FM. My goodness. Florence Ann Romano, welcome to the Better Call Daddy Show. I am so excited to have Florence Ann here today. I have not seen you since I was a guest on your show. Windy City Nanny, that was pre-pandemic, and I cannot believe three years ago. You had a teeny tiny baby. Teeny tiny baby at the time. Oh my gosh. Can't believe it. It's so crazy. He's now in school. Oh Oh my gosh. And we have not gotten any older. Isn't that the best part? We are just still the same youthful people. What's amazing about being on that show was that I had never had a nanny before. Mm-hmm. But when kid number four came seven weeks early, and I was honestly, I think, going through a little bit of postpartum, I mean, it was a crazy time in my life. I needed help. Yeah. Yeah. And you deserved it. You deserved it. And I'm so happy that you acknowledged that you needed it and were also so willing and generous to let us in your home and be honest with us and so candid about how you were feeling. Yeah. You told me that I could have it all, Mm -hmm. that it just required reaching out. And you gave me some really good suggestions on how to do that. I did ask my friends like, hey, where do you find a nanny? Hey, have you ever used somebody that you liked? And I found someone just from doing that. That's the best case scenario. Awesome. That is awesome. Yeah. And then I ended up working for almost a year until the pandemic happened. And then, you know, obviously everything changed. I felt uncomfortable having somebody in my house. And I'm sure other people, I mean, did you hear other people stopped using nannies? during that time? Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, and that's what I think caused such a disruption for families and one of the myriad of ways it caused a disruption. But remember also a lot of these parents were still working at home. And so now we've got kids that need to be watched if they're not in school. And even if they are in school, oftentimes the parent needed to still be overseeing that situation with their children in school while also trying to do their job. So there was there were no free people. There were no free people to help. 
you know, because the parents needed to be doing their job as well or on meetings or on the phone or whatever the case may be. So not having that support in the home was tremendously impactful. What's interesting is I feel like I'm in a similar situation now to when I met you because I am now being offered to travel for work again. And that for me as a mom of four would require hiring help. Yes, right. Well, how do you feel about doing it? Would you want to? So that is a great question. I now think more about opportunity cost. With the last opportunity, it was something that I wanted to be doing and it was in the industry that I wanted to be doing it in. And I was at a point in my career where I was having career momentum. But now, since we've had these two, three years where I've gotten more special time with my kids and I see how quickly they are growing up. I mean, my daughter's bat mitzvah is coming up. I start thinking about, is it worth the experience? Is it worth the money? Right. These years are so fleeting and my kids need me. So the struggle is real. The struggle is back. The struggle is back. Well, I think, you know, you're looking at it the right way, though. I mean, I wouldn't give you any other advice than what you're doing is you are deciding what the priorities are to you. You know, is it worth it to you? If you're in a situation also, too, right now where you get to choose whether or not you do something, that is such a blessing that is you're so fortunate to be in that situation where you would get to weigh this. Not everybody gets the chance to weigh it. It's, hey, you're going to have to start traveling again for work, and that's just the way it is, or no job for you. And if that's said to perhaps a parent who is a single parent, they can't say no, or they're going to have to find a new job. You know, So I'm not saying that it devalues your decision-making at all, because it's happening in your life. It's important to you. And it's important to your family. There are consequences, of course, to every action, action, good and bad. It's just that when you are looking at it kind of from that 20,000 foot view, it's okay. I, you know, while I make this hard decision, let me also ground myself in gratefulness that I get to choose. Yes, I actually love that you said that. I do feel very fortunate that my husband, you know, can hold down the nine to five. He has given me a lot of support in following my creative endeavors, but we do trade off things for that, right? Like I took three kids to go see my grandmother and he didn't have enough days off work, which was sad. And then he starts started thinking like, maybe I need to make sure I'm getting every single vacation day that I signed on for at this job. Did they give me the right number of days? He felt sad that he couldn't come with us to go visit my grandmother. Of course, of course, because missing out, right? You know, we laugh about FOMO, but it's also missing out on moments, missing out on memories. And I think something we learned from COVID is that when we're making time for something or someone, family, friends, whatever it is, hopefully that's a lesson that we all hold on to even many years from now after having experienced it, that we should be prioritizing those things. We should be prioritizing making those memories. I know that one thing for us, we used to do all the time when we were younger was always you had the video recorder, right? You know, that old video recorder. Now, you know, that doesn't really exist anymore. People have their phones and everything. But one thing my family and I was talking about was, gosh, we have 
all these home movies that are now on DVDs and we watch them all the time, but we've become very, very lazy about taking pictures, about taking videos. And both my grandparents lived with us growing up, my Nana and Papa or old fashioned Italian family. And they both passed away in our home, you know, very, you know, both in their mid to late nineties. Really, we're very, very lucky, but we go back and we watch their videos very often just to hear their voice, to see their face. And I was thinking about that during this holiday season about how valuable that video footage is, that audio is, because you think you're going to remember, but you don't, you know? And so when you're with people in your life, whether it's your friends, not even just, you know, the elderly population of your family, make a point of taking the pictures of hitting that record button and doing all of that. Because like I said, you think you're going to remember, but you don't. And then once they're gone or once that chapter of your life has closed, there's a longing. And if you can still have that touch point, it keeps it alive. It nourishes you in some way. So to your point about your husband missing out on an opportunity like that, it may seem like, oh, well, I'll just, you know, so shucks, you know, next trip, whatever it is. And yeah, you can say that to make yourself, you know, feel better and be able to move on from that moment. But at the same time, I understand that it leaves a little bit more of a profound imprint than just maybe the simple explanation. Definitely. I mean, his grandparents made a tremendous imprint on his life. After his grandmother passed away, she was one of nine. He started exploring his Jewish roots. Yeah, he had explored all kinds of other religions. And he was like, she was Jewish and I was close with her. Like, maybe I should check out what's in my own backyard. And it's funny because at the same time, I had just gone on like a singles trip to Israel and was kind of like exploring my Jewish roots too. I'm like, why do my parents suddenly care who I marry? they care. Oh, yeah, they're going to care. Oh my gosh. That is so funny. Well, you were meant to be clearly you and the husband. It was clearly meant to be. Very interesting. Yeah. And I like took him to my rabbi's house in LA. I was like, so what do you think of us? You know, like, I was like, I know how that's what they do in the Orthodox. I'm like, let's, let's get his opinion here. Do a little, you know, background stalking. Oh my gosh, Rita, is that hysterical? I think we should all do that, truthfully. I think I kind of even do that in my life, even with just my friends. I'm like, yeah, let's take that guy out to dinner. And then, like, he goes to the bathroom. You're like, so what's the, how are we feeling? What's what the consensus here? Yeah, you know what I mean? It's a group activity, takes the village, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, that's hysterical. Yeah. So in transitioning there, because I did ask my audience, you know, what would they like to ask a nanny? I'm sure you get asked the same things all the time, but I'm going to give them to you anyway. So how do you find a good nanny? Well, what you just described about asking for those referrals, I think is the best way. And the reason I say that is because it's like a built-in verification process. You're asking friends or family that you trust or that you've seen success in their homes and you're looking to hopefully replicate that. And generally the nanny system, it's kind of like this underground community. They kind of all know each other. They know a lot of different people who are looking, they have their ear to the ground. So I would say that's the best way, whether you're asking a friend who lives on your block or through your church or through the school or whatever it might be, even through philanthropy. Maybe you sit on a board or you do some volunteering. You know, you ask that circle of people. You can certainly, of course, go on care.com or, you know, Sitter City, things like that. I was 
on those when I was a nanny. I found great success with it. But just like anything, even if it's coming as a referral, you need to do your vetting. You need to make sure it's the right fit for your family. And so once you do start that interview process, it's kind of all the same, whether that person's coming from the internet, that person's coming from a friend, you're having that person be in your home for a specific reason. Yes, to take care of your most precious possessions, but also to give you peace of mind. If you're going to have that person come in and take care of your kids, but you don't trust them, you don't feel comfortable with them, you don't like the dynamic with the kids, you're not going to be able to do any of the things you need to do you know, to why you hired the nanny in the first place. So again, it's a family decision. There's a lot of variables that go into making that hire. Interesting. Are there questions that you should ask? Of course. <laughs> do you like kids? Number one. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, actually, it's not a terrible idea. But do you know how many people that I know that were nannies at a time in their life where they're like, well, I'm just going to do this until something better comes around. They really didn't really like children, horrified, absolutely horrified when I like would hear that. So I'm laughing and kind of joking, but kind of not whether or not they like children. But you also want to ask them what they're looking to gain from the experience too. You know, what are their expectations as a nanny? We talk a lot about what you need, know thyself, know the values of my family, but also what are they looking for? What are their expectations working in your home with your children? How do they feel about education? How do they feel about nutrition, sleep training, potty training, whatever it is that you're going to be asking them to participate in your home, make sure you're very clear about having that conversation. Maybe you're a family that does not believe in any sort of sweets. But this is a nanny that, you know, likes to spoil kids in that way. And hey, what the parents know won't hurt them. But then all of a sudden the parents come home, the kids are bouncing off the walls and they don't know why it's a circus or, you know, like a zoo in there. Well, it's maybe because there's some overindulgence in sugar happening. And now we've got a bedtime routine that's up in arms. And now the parent has to come home and kind of try to recalibrate everything. That's kind of a small but also extreme example. But if even your child has special needs, not even just autism, Down syndrome, developmental delays, whatever it might be, maybe it's also nutrition-based. Maybe they have a very big, profound, deadly dairy allergy, and you're not communicating to them where the EpiPens are, what's allowed, what's not in terms of food, you know, what are the rules about food in the home. I don't mean to scare anyone by kind of rattling off all this stuff, but you live this daily life with your children. You are the manager of your home. You understand what makes it work. Be very transparent with your caretaker, with your daycare provider, with your nanny, whomever it is, about what is needed for that child and what's needed for that home. That is a lot to think about. Oh, it's a lot, I know. I just like rambled way too long about it and probably scared lots of people. Don't be scared. Don't be scared. It's all okay. But you know, it's nothing you don't know. Let me let me ease your fears there too. This is nothing you don't know as a parent that this is what makes your family tick. This is the rhythm of your home. It's just making sure you're communicating all of this to the person that's helping support the family. You just, you know, more information than less, I always feel. How did your expectations as a nanny change or evolve? Oh, that's a great question. I would say that the biggest lesson for me was not trying to judge the parenting. You know, those aren't my kids. Although I love them, I have a connection to them, I want everything good and right and secure and happy for them. 
I am not their parent and I need to know where me as the nanny begins and ends sort of thing. I've been put in situations before where I've had to have uncomfortable situations with the parent. One particular, one little girl, her parents were very hard on her regarding school and it was getting to her. And one particular night I found her in the bathroom making herself sick over the pressure. And I laid with her on the floor and kind of started talking through things with her. And I realized in that moment, all right, I'm at a crossroads. I have to keep the trust of this little girl because she's confiding in me about how she's feeling. But I also need to do something because I'm seeing something that isn't healthy. So I thought about it for a bit and went to her parents and said, listen, you know, I'm seeing something, you know, with her and let's talk about it. Let's figure out a solution here. I don't know if you're aware. So I just wanted to make sure you knew what I saw. And I wanted to make sure they didn't think I was coming at them, judging who they were as parents or blaming them for why she's going through what she's going through. I wanted it to be, we all love her. Let's figure this out together. And it ended up working. You know, they did thank me for bringing it to their attention. They didn't realize she was feeling the way she was. They did keep the confidence of it. They did not approach her about the fact that she had spoken to me about it. We just started to make adjustments in her daily life without her kind of realizing that it was being done maybe intentionally. But that's an example of where I needed to really figure out what was appropriate. And how was it appropriate for me to approach the situation? Was it even appropriate for me to approach the situation? And that's one thing I want to empower nannies or caretakers, whomever is in that role, is you are there to take care of those children in a lot of different forms. And sometimes the parents miss something. They're not always there to see it. And even if they were, sometimes we know this is just as human beings, we talk to other people about certain things maybe we wouldn't talk to others about. We just feel a certain connection or a certain confidentiality with people. And that's okay. But the same goes with children. I think as you form a relationship with them, they have a certain trust with you and you never want to breach that trust. Again, an extreme example, but it took consideration. That gave me the chills. It is crazy how kids will share with others before they feel comfortable sometimes telling their parents. Right. And it's not that they don't love or feel safe with the parent. It is that sometimes it's safer to tell someone who's more removed because it doesn't feel like such an admission. It doesn't feel maybe it's going to be followed with as much judgment. Not that your parents are necessarily going to judge you, but there is something safe about it when it's maybe not necessarily someone who's in your immediate family. I would love to go back to now that Windy City Nanny is a while ago, like what did you learn from that whole series? You interviewed such an amazing wide range of guests from people who lost their spouse to single parenting to blended families to postpartum. Yeah, there was a, there were a lot of themes there, you know, and I mean, you were just such a star of that and will go down as one of my very favorite moments, you know, having with you for sure. But gosh, I think the reason I ended up writing my book, Build Your Village, it came from a lot of different places within me, but certainly through doing that web series, I looked at what community actually meant in all of these different situations to all of these different families. And it made me start to really give pause to 
how do people find their people and how do people find their support? And as life changes, do those people change in their orbit? How do we ask for the people that we need? How do we also discover who we are to other people? And I think Windy City Nanny's web series really helped me develop a really solid foundation for asking those questions. Yeah. How do we find our villagers? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I laugh because Rita, I know you get it too from different people who will be like, okay, we hear it takes a village. Yes. Yes. Everyone tells us it takes a village, but where is the village? What is the phone number? Where are the directions? You know, and I laugh because it's a cute, quippy way of kind of giving life to this adage. But also what upsets me about the adage is it's meant for, of course, raising children. However, my question is, do you think, I'm asking everyone out there, do you think that having people is the reward you get for having children? And my answer to that is just because you don't have kids or you can't have children, don't want to have children, however you design your life, does that mean you don't deserve people? Is it just for parents, this village? And that's when I kind of got a little, got a little persnickety about it. I was like, um, no, 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 no. Everyone deserves a community at every stage and season of their life, regardless if they have children. So let's look at really what that consists of when we take away this idea that it's just regarding raising children. That is a great question. And I know it's personal to you. <laughs> yes, it is. It, it definitely is. I mean, let me be honest with the viewers. You know, I spent 15 plus years in childcare being a nanny. I went on to write a children's book, helping children through the transition of taking care of by their parents to being care, taken care of by a nanny or caretaker. And then have moved on now to write a personal growth book about building village. But I myself am not a parent yet, Rena. I have not had children. I haven't gotten married. I haven't done any of that. But I have a heck of a lot of experience in families, in raising children, in that experience. I don't think that that should disqualify me from having an opinion about the dynamic of family because I've been exposed to so many. I said to my sister, my youngest sister, she was like, my cousin had had a baby. She was at our house over the holidays. Baby was like eight days old. And I was like, I'll go change her diaper. So I went and changed her diaper. My youngest sister... 10 years younger than I am, just gotten married in September. She's like, can I come with you? I want to watch you change the diaper. I said, what, you never changed a diaper before? You're like 26 years old. I was like, you're going to change a diaper. She's like, no, I I haven't. So I'm changing the diaper and kind of walking her through it. And I laughed to myself thinking, so just because she's married and eventually will have a baby, does that mean she's more experienced than I am being a parent just because she has a child? where I've helped raise a lot of children and had a lot more experience in parenting, in mothering as a verb because of what my vocation was for so long. So it just makes you think about things a little bit differently, thinking, gosh, maybe we shouldn't be so judgmental about all the ways that we parent in this world because it comes in a lot of different shapes and forms. Definitely. I mean, personally, I think you'd probably be a better mom than me. (laughs) Oh, stop that. No. 
no, you are the mom they were meant to be with, the mom, you're the perfect mom for them. But you know, to your point though, about looking around you at different people that have different skill sets, that's the spice of life. That's the secret sauce, is we're not supposed to have all the answers. That's why we have friendships. That's why we have help. That's why we have teachers and all the different forms that we have them, because we shouldn't have to know everything on our own. We should be looking to other people to help us figure out how to do things better or differently. Be creative about brainstorming a solution to a problem, seeing how someone does something in their home and think, gosh, that's a really great idea. I'm going to apply that here. And then you reciprocating that too, based on your skill set, based on your life experience. So I like the idea of that back and forth conversation throughout our whole lives about, hey, let me help you and you help me. And this be just kind of that that symbiotic relationship. Okay, so speaking about a back and forth, does it always have to be a tit for tatter? Love that you said that because I think oftentimes we don't wanna ask for help because we don't know how we're gonna repay. And I know that's something you and I talked about, Rena, in your episode was you felt like, oh gosh, and I hope you don't mind me sharing. So I remember you saying to me, you know, but if I'm asking for this help, I am underwater right now. How am I, when am I going to be able to repay this person I'm going to tap for their help? And what if they're not even a person I know all that well? You know, what if it's a person that maybe the kids go to the same school? I don't know that mom as well, but I'm going to ask her to maybe bring my kids home from school that day because I have a doctor's appointment or the baby's sick or something's going on. I've never asked for that before. And, you know, is that appropriate? I think that is a big reason and something that can oftentimes be debilitating to us when starting to construct that village because we think it is tit for tat. That doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you allow people to take advantage of your kindness. You have to be aware that there is a line, you know, that you you are walking that tightrope, of course. But more often than not, people are going to want to help you just because they're good and kind people that want to help and they're not thinking about when you are going to reciprocate. And that's life. It happens in this kind of scale kind of way. Right now, maybe it's this person that needs more and it's not you, but eventually that scale is going to shift and you're going to have that opportunity to be able to be there and support too. I mean, God bless people that want to help just to better the world. Love those people. They are very few and far between. Yeah, I mean, it's true because life is busy. I mean, we're all busy people. We are trying to take care of ourselves and take care of everybody else. And, you know, I don't have to tell a busy mama like yourself, you know, self-care, where is that on your to-do list? I mean, probably very low, which is a whole different topic though about what self-care looks like. And it's not about the quantity of it, it's about the quality of it. And then also allowing other people to be a part of that self-care journey. But that's, you know, kind of a different tangent. It is really about exploring what does it mean to show up for people? And it doesn't have to be in these ways that seem like such a heavy lift. I'll give you a great example. I had been sick a couple weeks ago. One of my best girlfriends who lives like blocks away from me, she showed up at my door, did not ring the doorbell because she knew there was no way I wanted to see any sort of person, people. There was not, you know, and of course, I don't think she wanted me to open the door and let all my germs out at her, but she dropped off soup 
literally soup that she had in her refrigerator that she had probably for her family, maybe had a couple, couple containers, just came, put it at my doorstep, texted me, said, girl, soup at your door. Let me know if you need anything. And went on her way with her day. She was off to go pick the kids up from school. It was a lovely, beautiful, thoughtful moment that did not take anything, did not even cost her any money. She didn't stop at a store. She literally took something out of her fridge, put it on my doorstep and kept on going. And it's that, that is showing up for people. That is taking care of people, Rita. And not a way that is, I'm dedicating my whole life to just taking care of people and I'm going to forget about myself or anything else that's going on. She is a person that does put other people ahead of herself in a lot of ways, but she also is a person that I feel does a really good job balancing the other stuff too. She's not only living for others, she's doing a lot of other stuff, but she's making room. She's making room for love, loving other people. And it was a very small, but very profound, sweet gesture. I know you make room for people too. You like, you're very involved in the philanthropy community. And I want to say that I commend you for that. I actually really want to do more of that because I know it made a big impression on you as seeing that in your family. Can you talk a little bit about that? So I've, I've involved myself with a lot of different organizations, I would say, over the course of time. But my brother, Michael, has autism. He's going to be 36 in March. Growing up with a special needs brother taught me, gosh, endless lessons, continues to do so, but certainly taught me about what it meant to, be, you know, the art of caretaking, the art of compassion, uh, the art of responsibility. But then that led me to running a board for several years that was for autism awareness. I've moved on from that to other things now. But three of the things I do in my life now is I'm on the board of the Children's Research Fund at Lori Children's Hospital here in Chicago. We raise money for the research that's done at the hospital. And it's one of the most proud and highest honors I'll ever have in my life being on this board. I'm on the, the inaugural board for the... I always say this the backwards way because it's how my brain is. The Sesame Street Workshop Leadership Board. And Sesame Street has always been very important to children over 50 years of content and learning. But it was very important to my brother growing up. And he still, still to this day, watches old Sesame Street. So I love being involved in that. And then the third, I'm on the board of Female Strong. We give opportunities and scholarships to young girls in grammar school to high school to start their own businesses little entrepreneurs. And so it's really cool to watch them blossom that way. But I have definitely chosen, Rena, these different philanthropic causes because it means something personal to me. And it also is the right time in my life to be doing it. To your point, I think we have to choose the times in our life where we feel we can make room for it because there's nothing worse than joining an organization where you feel you are being a disappointing member. That's going to make you feel worse than you did to start with. Honestly, you're better off not joining an organization until you can make room or time for it. Because if you feel like you are disappointing now, this organization that is doing all this good and that you're comparing yourself to these other board members who are showing up, doing more, giving more, not even financially, you are going to feel much worse about yourself and you don't even want to put yourself in that situation. So my advice to you is absolutely tend to that gravitational pull you're having, but make sure that however you're going to participate in that philanthropy fits into your life. 
and that expectation is made with that organization too about how involved you can or cannot be. So my son through school, they have to do like a certain amount of community service hours. So I was like, we're new to town. I was like, let me look into different opportunities. I know in college I did like Boys and Girls Club or I volunteered at like the Ronald McDonald house. I was kind of like looking for those types of opportunities, but there are so many. Like, how do you find the one that's meaningful? And I was even like, maybe I could do that with him because I feel like that would be a meaningful opportunity. I love that. I mean, there are so many families in my area. I know that one of the things they do very often is they go to the soup kitchens together. Now, during COVID, this was this was a different story, but that's come back. But they do. They, they'll go to the p- local pantries. You know, their kids will help stock. One thing that we used to do when we were younger in our church, there was kind of the what we I was raised Catholic, so the Advent tree. So we would always take names off the Advent tree. And then on Christmas Eve, I believe it was, I think it was Christmas Eve, not Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, we would go to the person's house and we would deliver the gifts. And my mom and dad always made sure that we went with them because they wanted us to meet those families. And it was definitely extremely humbling growing up when you would show up to those people's apartments or homes or whatever their living situation was. And it put things in a very profound and harsh perspective too about what giving back really means, especially during a holiday season when my childhood, it was always magical. It was always wonderful. And you seeing that other people don't experience it the same way you do. Making it a family affair is very important because that stuff sticks to your ribs. I'll tell you, it sticks to your ribs. I don't think I ever, I ever forget certain faces, certain families that I saw. And it definitely probably was a big reason why philanthropy became a big part of my life. What else did you learn from your family? Like looking back at those videos that you've captured? Oh gosh, so much. I mean, so my Nana and Papa, they were the loves of our life. I mean, I named after my Nana. That's why my name is so old fashioned. You know, one story I tell, I do tell it in the book too, is about when my Nana, so my Papa had already passed on. My Nana passed on a year and a half after my Papa. And during that last year and a half, she really started to kind of deteriorate. You know, she was starting to break bones and she was starting to become like I would refer to it always as a prisoner in her body because she would always say the mind is willing, but the body is not. She was like a 21 year old in her mind, but her, her body was failing her. And so Nana was very, very private. She was a very prideful woman, very, very conservative. And Nana needed a diaper at the end of her life. And my only myself or my mother was allowed to do that for her. She would not let my sister, she wouldn't let anyone else. And I remember one day I was changing it for her and she said to me, Florence Ann, I, you know, this is not how it's supposed to be. And I looked at her and I said, but you changed mine. So this is the circle of life. This is how it's supposed to be. You know, it was this moment with her that I'll never forget that also taught me in that moment about vulnerability when it comes to letting love in. It is hard. It is hard to let love in sometimes. In that moment, Nana knew she needed me. She needed to let me love her in this way. She needed to let down her guard in this way. But man, was it difficult for her to do. She got used to it, but in the beginning, I could see it on her face how humiliating it was for this very prideful woman. I think it's an important lesson that I've carried with me about when someone is in a vulnerable position or people are in a vulnerable position and you're coming in to assist or help or relieve 
that you need to approach that situation with a whole lot of grace and a whole lot of compassion. I can relate to that because I have done that for my grandmother. And my dad will relate to that because he has done that for his mother. Oh, wow. Even see a son and a mother. That is very rare. Wow. I love my grandmother like you're describing. And the first time I did it, she was also like, she's such a modest woman. It was, it was really uncomfortable for her. And, and like what you said, I was like, grandma, you took care of me as a kid. And it honestly is an honor for me to do it. I was like, I have four kids. Don't worry. I do this all day long. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But it's different when it's a kid, right? You know, they're like, yeah, well, you know, I need you to do this. This I can't do this myself you know it's the same thing though you know except you know they they don't care there's no shame there with the kids you know they're like yeah just rip that thing right off i saw something the other day that made me laugh they're like you would think your children think you're doing some incredible disservice to them by taking off a soiled diaper you want to sit there with poop in your butt all day long you want to sit there wet and chafing like you would think like and they're screaming no god don't take the diaper from me you want to sit there like that i don't I don't want to sit there like that. It's so you know, true. So, They'll leave so it on. Like, yeah. All right. Leave it on then. Good luck with that. You know what I mean? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's like, well, now I have a rash. Yeah, that's your fault. Sounds like it's your problem, doesn't it? <laughs> Clearly, I was a great nanny, right? You're like, well, this seems like it's your problem, kid. Go find some cream. <laughs> you did it to yourself. But no, I mean, but what you're saying though, we can relate. We are cut from the same cloth in that way. And we both have had very unique experiences. I don't know that it's the norm necessarily. You probably will hear it more often than you think you would, but I think you and I are probably part of a minority that that caretaking, that specific type of caretaking of our aging population, we got to experience. How important are grandparents in a family unit? Well, for me, they were the loves of my life, like I said, and they taught us all of these incredibly valuable lessons about respect and compassion and humor and also how you take care of each other and how also it's a cone of silence sometimes too in your family. You know, you're not going out there airing all your dirty laundry all the time, but they also were such a vast of wisdom. And, you know, you just can't make that up. No matter how wise you may think you are or your life experience, you still haven't lived the life for as many decades as these people have and experienced the world in all the different forms that they have. I could sit for hours and I did just listening to stories about my papa in the war or my Nana going through several miscarriages and what it was like during that time in her life. And, you know, just surviving hard circumstances. I mean, my, my Nana and Papa, unfortunately, had to bury one of their children when she was only, she died in a car accident in her early 30s. You know, they, there was tragedy, you know, and we learned a lot about perseverance from them and how you survive and how you also thrive and how you don't blame other people for your problems and how you do put other people first. So it's funny, as I think back on the lessons that I kind of, outline in the book, there's a genesis to it. The roots are there with my family and the lessons that I learned with them. 
But I will say, not every grandparent, though, deserves access to grandchildren, depending on how they take care of themselves, how they are participating in your family life, how they are respecting boundaries. You know, I'm not just going to say that anyone deserves access because that's not true. You have to be following and aligned with values in order to be an appropriate member of that family. And if you feel like that grandparent is not a positive influence, then you have a hard decision to make. But again, what is the right thing for your family? So I can tell you both sides. I never experienced that with my grandparents. They had full access to us. But I also have experienced it where grandparents are still people. And they still live their life a certain way. And maybe it's not the healthiest way to be exposing your children to a certain type of person. That's up to you. So I want to empower people there too, to make those decisions for their family that are right for them. Yeah, that's a good point to make because we are in different times. We are. We are. And we can honor people for the differences. And we want to be surrounded by people that think differently than we do, look differently than we do. All of that. The diversity is important, but there's a big difference between allowing someone around you and your children that has to be managed. A person that has to be managed, what they're saying, what they're doing. I've had experiences in my own extended family with, you know, substance abuse or addiction where those people are not welcome around the children because they have their own demons that they're dealing with. They have their own struggles. And it's not that you don't support or love that person, but you can and should decide whether or not it is healthy. I've had to make decisions like that too. I'm in complete agreement with you. One question from the audience I got, I hadn't even heard this terminology. So I don't, I don't know if it's just common and I don't know it, but have you heard of gentle parenting? Yes, I have. <laughs> Now, wait, everybody has a different definition of what they consider gentle parenting. So what is what is this audience member referring to? So I Googled it and it says empathy, respect, understanding and boundaries. And I really feel like those go along with tenants that you hold dear. Absolutely. I would also like to think that we wouldn't have to actually create a name for it. Wouldn't you like to think that that's just kind of understood about parenting, that we all should probably be gently parenting in general? But, you know, again, we define a lot of things today and that's okay. I understand why people need definitions attached to things. I get it. I'm a person that likes guardrails about something. But I would like to think that those traits are just probably innately there as you start to parent your children. But the emphasis on those certain attributes, I think that can be drilled down even further because those are going to be defined differently for every family. The way that I love is not the way you necessarily love. And the way I'm going to show that to you, you may not even realize that that's my way of showing love to you. So as children get older and you teach them in the sandbox, you know, you're the one putting the sand in the sandbox. As you teach them these lessons, they're going to start realizing what works for them and what doesn't, and maybe what they learn from other people. My mom said it best a long time ago, take what we did right and use it, take what we did wrong and lose it. They did their best, of course, right? You know, I think my mom, the, the star parent, and my dad had a little bit more to learn, but that's okay. For me, it's mostly also realizing, going back to our original point, that we don't need to know the answers to all of that. All of those traits that you just listed, 
we know what that means to us, but let's be also open to figuring out how other people define those things too and show those things to their children, show those things to other, because kids are watching. They're watching those things in action. They're not necessarily listening to what you say as much as watching how you're walking the walk. That's where they learn the most. Oh yeah, my dad would definitely agree with you there. I had a guest on my show. He was a father of nine. I'm getting ready to drop his episode. His name is Casey Stubbs. He's a podcaster too. And he was saying, you barely remember anything of what your parents say, but what you do remember is what they do. Yes, so well said. You do remember what they do and you remember what they don't do. Again, you hope that every parent is going to do the very best they can. And not even just that, you hope that they do everything with the intention of love. Everything is coming from a place of love. My mom will say, I know I made mistakes, but nothing I ever did did not come from a place of me wanting the best for you, to love you fully, to make sure you were safe, to make sure you were prepared, whatever it was. But maybe the delivery wasn't always the best, or maybe she's not proud of the way she handled something, perhaps. We're all going to have that in life, not even just with children. Even with way, the way you handle something with your spouse or your significant other or your friends. We've all said those things that we're like, yeah, not my finest moment. Okay. You know, and that's okay. That's the human in us. But I think to your point, though, showing all of that in action is so important. Like the way that we react to what's on TV sometimes, like you're watching the news and your kids are around and you see something or someone, it's a congressman, a senator, whatever that you don't like, and you're like, ah, oh, I hate that. Oh, they're the worst. And you start talking out loud to yourself or your whoever's in the house with you, your spouse, and your kids are listening. Not a great moment because now they think, okay, mom or dad doesn't like that person. And if I don't like someone, then that means I get to fly off the handle and I get to say mean things or I get to, you know, pop off like that. Not that they're thinking those exact words, but they're learning something in that moment that that expression is okay because mom or dad does it. Oh, and then they do it too. What do you do when you've made mistakes? What is the best way to, I feel like that example you gave earlier of seeing the little girl in a situation and not wanting to break the trust, but also wanting to communicate well with the parents. What an unbelievable dance you did. Like how, when we make these mistakes, can we do a cleanup dance? One thing that I really love seeing more today is accountability. I think we're seeing that more from people in a very big way because we're making self-improvement, personal growth, all of that a much more personal and general and publicized conversation. So now we're starting to use this, these words, this language that we maybe didn't have before. And I think when we're talking about specifically apologizing that is falls under the umbrella of accountability and i really love that we're seeing parents being accountable with their children i think we all put a lot of pressure on ourselves as the caretaker to think that we are perfect or we always do everything correctly because god forbid we do something wrong then we're going to mess them up for life i think children need to see that we're all human and we all make mistakes because just like you said, they're watching what we do. They're also watching what we don't do, like we said, and they're also watching how we handle ourselves when we've made a mistake. 
if you're unwilling to apologize to your child about maybe perhaps losing your temper and saying, you know what, I'm sorry that I yelled at you. I understand you're struggling with this. I have also, you know, mommy's had a tough day or whatever. You can put it, whatever words you want to say. They're going to remember this moment and think, okay, as I get older, there are going to be situations they're in with people where they're going to lose their temper. They're going to lose their cool. And it's not going to be the correct reaction to the emotion. Because remember, children need to understand that every feeling is okay. It's how we react to the feelings that may not be okay. So in those moments, they need to learn that they can apologize. But what does an apology mean? Generally, it means you're going to try not to make the same mistake again. You're not going to do it again. That's why you're going to apologize. I'm sorry. The unsaid part of it is I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to do that again. Doesn't mean you're going to be able to make that promise, but we need to see the effort into acknowledging that you made a mistake and learning that I'm, I'm going to learn to correct this. I'm going to work on this. We want our kids to do that too. Yeah, that's a really good lesson right there. Something I need to work on. Lots to work on. We make a thousand mistakes a day. I mean, that's just the way it is. And it's easy for us to sit here and have this conversation and say, oh, in a perfect world, this is how it looks like. And we're all taking accountability for all of our actions and all. And we're taking inventory of ourselves. We're doing all. Yeah, you know, that's great. Some days, you know, you just survive. Okay. You know, some days you're just like, all right, I'll get into that bed at night, pull those covers up. And I'm like, man not a good day. I just kind of messed everything up that I did. Everything I touched, every email I sent, phone call I had, interaction I had, I just was not on my game today. And you know, sometimes you just need to go to sleep and wake up the next day and try again. And that is it. I mean, again, that's giving yourself grace. That's giving the world that grace. We are all doing the best we can but the best we can usually can be done and can be a goal for us if we have the right type of people in our life to support us. I love that. Florence, Anne, this has been so great. Thank you so much for keeping me in your village. Like, I feel honored. I'm honored too. Are you kidding? You were such a big part of the catalyst for kind of creating so much of this and i'm so proud of you and what you've what you've created here this is the perfect role for you because you you really have an old soul and i know that people connect with you on such and so many different levels and that that's again the special sauce of life so keep going and doing what you're doing because it's important i was inspired by your show oh i mean oh, it was gosh. the first time i ever got a nanny you made me believe that i could could have both. You broke it down into simple terms of doing it. I actually tried it. I actually applied it and I achieved it. So thank you. Thank you. Wow. I, you gave me goosebumps with that too. That's the holy grail right there. I couldn't think of a bigger gift you could give me. Thank you. Well, and I want to buy your book. So there's a good gift <laughs> and I'll review it. Oh gosh. It's not the real, this is the galley copy, but yeah, February 21st there for pre-sale. Ooh, maybe I'll release this like right before that. I would love that. Oh my gosh, that would be awesome. Yes. Okay, so let people know where it will be available for purchase and all of the social handles. So you could go right to my website, florenceann.com. That's the easiest place to go and pre-order it, though you could do it anywhere books are sold. I'm also all over social media, Florenceann, Romano, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I answer every DM that I get, so never feel like you can't reach out to me. Please introduce yourself if I don't introduce myself first. It is a virtual village. You know, I, I want to make sure that you are seen, heard, and understood. That's what I'm here for.
I will say I usually unsubscribe to like everyone's newsletter and still three years later, I'm a fan. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. Well, you'll be happy to know that we are having, I stopped it for a second, but there, it's coming back now. It's the new next newsletter is coming back. So I'm very excited. I never unsubscribe because you actually give useful information. That means the world. Thank you. Wow. You've given me a lot of gifts today. I appreciate that so much. Now, let's switch it over to Grandpa. Florence Ann is not really giving just a lesson about being a nanny. What she's giving you is a lesson about how you have to have compassion and patience for all people. I think she has, in her case, a brother that has certain issues where you have to have that type of temperament. And I'll be honest, you know, uh, I've been around the block. I've seen a lot of things. But to say that when I was a young man, that if one of my children had issues, whether I would have really been able to handle and have the patience and the compassion to deal with it, I can't tell you for sure if I would have been successful. It's very, very difficult when there's that type of extra need of a person where you have to really dedicate a lot of extra time. Rena would say to me, but look at the kind of patience and tolerance you have now for your own mom. And isn't that what came out in this episode as well? Is that she has not only the experience in dealing with special needs, but she's able to deal with other people's children. She's able to deal with elderly people. She's able to show that she has that compassion and understanding and patience for all people that have needs or extra needs. That's what you call somebody that's selfish or selfless. And that's really the theme of life is to show that you can really get along with what she calls a village or a community where you're there to help, where everybody's there to help each other, uh, be able to face all of the issues of life and not have to have to say that it's all about me or I can do it alone, that there's people if you unite as a strong community, that the more people that do that and unite and bond, the stronger you are in numbers to getting things accomplished. What do you think of them, Apples? I think you nailed it because the name of her book is Build Your Village, A Guide to Finding Joy and Community in Every Stage of Life. And she walks the walk. She doesn't talk the talk. She walks the walk. She does it. And I also think there's another concept in here because we've had other guests on your show that are good at making babies, but you know, making babies and makes you either a mom or a dad, but that's only a small part of the job. Being there for your children, raising your children is a much bigger job than making them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> and it's not a commitment that you do for just a, a certain amount of time. It's a lifelong deal or a lifelong long job, because if you don't do the job right your entire life and try to also show by example through the different stages of life, your children are looking and following that type of example. So if you fall down any time along the way, that's what they're going to remember. And they're going to re certainly remember if you quit. So it's not a job that you can quit. It's a job that you have to show that you have resilience at your whole life. Is there anything you. that you wanted to say about taking care of your own mom and what that's been like? I just had a discussion because we have a new, a new service of people at night where the owner of this company is filling in and now she's getting other people to start showing up because working seven days a week 
at night with someone that's getting up every hour is, believe it or not, a pretty tough job. She wants to be surrounded by family and she needs help and looking after 24 hours a day. Not many people want to make that type of commitment. So understanding the patience that's necessary, and there is a not just a cost in dollars, okay? That's, that's a given, but there's a cost in your time and your own health that sometimes has to be sacrificed in order to make sure that my mom's quality of life is insured. You have to keep her active. And if she doesn't move her leg, you got to move your, the leg for her. If she doesn't want to eat, you have to feed it to her. The point is, is that we have to stay in motion and we have to keep her in motion if you want to live. Because as you know, on previous episodes, I've also mentioned that time can be very cruel to all of us. But the only way that you exist is if you are doing things and staying in motion. And we measure time by how active we are and what kind of distance we travel. That's the definition of time. And if you don't do anything with it and you waste it or you hide under the bed, you're not really living. And you've had to step up to the plate because even some of the care that you've had to do, you didn't want to do. I didn't ever think I would do. And you've had not, to put... It's, it's not easy wiping your own mom's us. You've had to put your pride aside. You, you do. You do. And the truth of the matter is, is that those that show and demonstrate extra understanding and patience for people, if everybody would have that education, I think we would have a friendlier and nicer world as well. So it's a, a lesson that all of us should be able to experience and learn. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Better Call Daddy Show. Now you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and TuneIn. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Better Call Daddy Show, please feel free to review it at ratethispodcast.com slash bettercalldaddy. Add Better Call Daddy Podcast on IG at Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn.com. 